morning. Good morning. It's Pastor Jennifer. It is Thursday, February the 25th, 2021. And I am happy to see you today. God is going to do great things through the study of his word. And uh, I'm coming to you from our Bella Vita offices at the International Christian Fellowship of Rome, Italy. And uh, we have a ministry here. We have a church here. We have an international congregation of believers and Christ followers. And so today I am coming to you for Thursday Connect. And as those of you that join me are signing on, I pray that you will uh, type in the chat and let me know that you're watching. Hi, my name is and I'm watching from uh, hi, Boyana. Good morning. We're happy to have you. I hope you have your tea or your coffee. I've got my mug with me and Pastor Rick on there that someone gave me. Hi, Barb. Good morning. And Helen. This is our Thursday Connect. It's uh, casual, but intense in the Word of God. And I am just so excited for today. I'll tell you that yesterday we had a gathering of strong believers in my office who just brought down heaven with their powerful prayers. And I felt so encouraged in my spirit. That's what happens when we come together as believers. Our spirits are encouraged. Our hearts are encouraged. Hi, Julia. Happy to see you. Glad you can join us today. And uh, so if you're joining, don't forget to sign on over here in the chat and let me know that you're there. It's as if we're at a round table and we're uh, studying our book from, uh, thank you, Boriana, uh, from Isaiah. And this book is called Be Comforted. And it is written by Warren Wearsby. It's actually, he wrote a series of books on a book study from books in the Bible. And so we're studying the book of Isaiah. And um, I wanted to just read you what it says actually on the back of the book. It says, discover the true source of your strength. We know that comes from the word of God. It's powerful and active in our lives. And um, hi, Salome. Hi, Shanta. Good morning. So on the back of the book, it actually says Isaiah was God's chosen prophet in a time of political unrest. He pleaded with the Israelites to turn from their sin and return to God in humble repentance so their nation could receive deliverance and restoration. A message we still need to hear today. And that's what the author wrote in 1994. And now here we are in 2021, realizing that the Holy Scripture is relevant and uh, powerful for each of us. It is truly our source of strength. And so we are going into the second portion of the book of Isaiah. I repeat it because somebody may watch these Bible studies for the first time. Uh, I'm going to be sending this link to our network 211. It's one of our resources on our website at icfrome.org. Network 211 is one of the agencies that we work with to provide biblical education and instruction and encouragement in all languages. 
Okay, so they are looking for Bible studies that they can put on Network 211 and then get translated. So um, it's going to be exciting how God uses this book study from Isaiah, even in the coming weeks, months, and years, just like God is using the book of Isaiah thousands of years later. He's using this man's book 30, 40 years later, and he's going to use our book study, Should the Lord Tarry, that means until the Lord Jesus comes back for his church, the bride, this book is reminding us that God has prophecies and promises that will be fulfilled. Amen? So, because we like to do a, a roundtable discussion, the first thing I'm going to ask you is, what is one of the promises that you feel God has given to you that you're holding on to? What is a promise that God has given to you that you're holding on to. You can type that in the chat. I believe God's promise to me for. I believe God's promise to me for. You know, when people begin to share their story and their testimony and what they're believing God for, you learn from each other that, wow, I'm believing God for that. Or you mean I could ask God for that? So what are you believing God for? What is a promise that you're believing God for? Wake up, have your coffee. Let's get engaged and celebrate the life together. Amen. We're on chapter nine, just so you know, page 129. That's where we're going to start. One of the promises that I'm believing God for is that he would give me peace that passes understanding. So when I am on a continent far away from those I love, he promised that he would watch over them and give me peace. And that's what Barb just, just wrote. I believe that God gives me a peace. Wow, Barb, we're believing God for the same thing. That's awesome. And uh, that just shows you, I Barb, I've known for a long time, and she's on the same continent in the same state country in the same state and close by cities probably with her daughter and her grandchildren and her family but we still need peace amen so what are you believing god for i'm believing god to to honor his word i am believing god that the promises and the prophecies that we have studied are are true and real and that we've seen them come true in so many different ways in so many different seasons of life and so this verse starts off, how great thou art, this chapter, how great thou art, talking about God. Can you just type it, type it in the chat? God, you are great. God, you are great. Today, we give this Bible study to you. We give this time to you. I pray for every person who watches now and later that they will recognize no matter how great the circumstances or the challenges may feel in their lives, in our lives, you're greater still. God is greater still than anything else. God is greater still. Somebody needs to type that down. Somebody needs to send that to me in a message. Um, the Lord's speaking to me about that. God is greater still. Ah, wow. God is greater still. Whatever it is, God is greater still. Even, even in, you know, nevertheless, the Bible says. And so I want us to remember that God is great. 
So when we look at this, I think I might have uh, touched point on uh, one of the presidents from America in 1964 was asking for a rich society, a powerful society, a great society. Uh, but the prophet, we're reminded that the prophet told them to get their eyes off of themselves. Don't look for a society or a nation to be great. Look for God to be great. And he said in chapter 40, verse 9, do not be afraid, he admonished them. Behold your God. Behold your God. And so when we begin to see that life is difficult and we look around us and we get overwhelmed or we get uncertain if we look up we will always be encouraged you may look around and be discouraged but you can look up and be encouraged i'm gonna say it again you may look around and be discouraged but when you look up you will be encouraged discouraged means that your courage is gone dis it's gone it's defeated Encourage means you have courage in you. So when I look up, I'm encouraged. I have the courage within to handle whatever lies around. Amen. Good morning, Solari. We're happy to have you. Tell us where you're watching from today. Um, and if you go by so Safari, is it Safari? Solari, tell us where you're watching from or what you go by. Um, God is faithful. God is faithful, always faithful. And that's why we are going to be comforted as we study it. So on chapter 9, page 130, it says that God is greater than our circumstances. He's greater than the circumstances behind us. He's greater than the circumstances before us. He's greater than the circumstances within us. Those three things are powerful. God is greater then all the past behind us, all the mistakes, all the consequence of all the mistakes, whether your fault or someone else's fault or a nation's fault, God is greater than all those circumstances behind us. And we see that in chapter 40, verses 1 through 31. And we see that God does not want to be compared to anyone else. He is greater still. Sulari, we're so glad you're watching from Sri Lanka. We have some wonderful friends here from Sri Lanka at our church, Ben and Anuja, and so we're glad you're there. Get your coffee. That's what we do, okay? God is greater than our circumstances. So how do we know that he's greater than our circumstances? We look at Isaiah chapter 40, and this is what's so powerful. This starts the second portion of Isaiah that is, in a way, a parallel to the New Testament. So the first 39 chapters were a parallel to the Old Testament because there's 39 books in the Old Testament. And it talked about the prophecies and the prophets and what was going on in that day. Now, the New Testament parallel from the book of Isaiah in the Bible starts at chapter 40, has 27 more chapters, just like the New Testament has 27 books. And it is going to remind us that there is coming a Messiah who will wipe away all tears and comfort us. And in the meantime, God has a plan to get us through every circumstance. So he's greater than the circumstances behind us before us or within us, and he has a plan for every circumstance. 
It says in chapters, in verse 1 through 11, that the remnant in Babylon looked back. They saw failure and sin, and they needed encouragement. And it notes that there were four voices heard, each with a special message for the needy people. There was a voice of pardon. God gives pardon. It says in chapter 40, verse 2, speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. There is a pardon for the circumstances behind us. God wants to say in the middle of your circumstances, Jesus has come to pay the price for our sins. We do not have to live in that past shame, in that past despair, in that past frustration. God has paid for it already. And he wants to give you double for your trouble. He wants to give you double for your trouble. Whether it was your trouble or someone else's trouble, God wants to give you double for all that stuff. Isn't that amazing? That's from the Bible. That's not from Pastor Jen, although I'm speaking it to you, but that's how God's word works. He's reminding them, in spite of their idolatry, injustices, immoralities, insensitivities, that they were still his people and he loved them. God loves you. He made you. He wants what's best for you. And so, yes, there is a consequence for sin, and we can't ignore that, but we've spoken about that in the first 39 chapters. And now we talk about the promise of the Redeemer. There is a voice of providence. We see in verses 3 through 5 in chapter 40, a voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight in the wilderness a highway for God. Every valley will be raised up, every mountain made low, and the rough ground will become level the rugged places a plain, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed for all mankind to see. That is a promise to be comforted that there is a voice of providence, that God knew the rough pathways that we would experience in what feels like a desert, in what feels like more isolation. I will tell you that here in Rome, we have been restricted from leaving our regions, and we have curfews. We have to be in at a certain night, and uh, I don't think we can have dinner at night in a restaurant yet. If, the, if we can, somebody tell me, because I'll be at a restaurant. Right now, we have to have dinner at home. Uh, you can take it out. You can stop and pick it up, but you can't eat in a restaurant after 6 p.m. And so it feels like a wilderness. And I had it in my in my calendar that um, starting like in February 15th or something, the regional thing would be gone and we could then we could move around a little more. I like to move around on Monday fun days. They moved that to February 25th. And this week they moved that again to March 27th. So now we have another month, five, six weeks where we are restricted, but God is not restricted. Somebody type that in. God is not restricted. There is a voice of providence that God knows the rough road. He knows the uncertain road. He knows the mountains and the hills and the valleys, and he has made a way for his children. Amen. And so we shouldn't sin, but if we do, God has a pardon for us. And you can find that in 1 John 1, 
verse 5 through chapter 2. 1 John 1, verse 5 through chapter 2. The voice of providence is that the Lord would go before them to prepare the way. He is the voice of one crying in the wilderness. The glory of the Lord will be revealed. The glory of the Lord will be revealed. So in your life, in that mountain that's been so hard to climb, in that valley that you just seem to can't get out of, the glory of the Lord will be revealed. You know Pastor Rick's story, and I can tell you that all these years later, the glory of the Lord is revealed not only in his life and his physical man from that miraculous healing of the tumor in his brain, but in the ongoing testimony that God does miracles. And God is no respecter of persons. He is a miracle for you today and this week. And I believe it. I've seen it. I've experienced it. The miracle might be that you have peace in the midst of chaos. You know, that's hard to have peace in the midst of chaos. But when I serve God, who is in charge of all of that, I can have peace in the midst of chaos. That is the voice of providence. The book on page 130 also says that Isaiah uses the picture of the highway often in his prophecies. And the ultimate fulfillment here is even John the Baptist talked about preparing the way for the one who would come after him, the ministry of Jesus from Matthew chapter three. Spiritually speaking, Israel was in the wilderness when Jesus came, but when he came, God's glory came, John 1 14. So the way back may not be easy, but if we're trusting God, it will be easier. Amen. Hi, Mary. Glad to see you this morning. The glory of God will be revealed in our circumstance. We also see in verses six through eight, all men are like grass. <laughs> all their glory is like flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass and it will wither and fall, but the word of our Lord stands forever. This is the voice of promise that our flesh, not just men, but men and women, all mankind, were flesh. In the book, it talks about Isaiah is talking about Assyria was gone and Babylon was gone and people were failing. But the word of God abides forever. And as they began their long journey home, Israel could depend on the word and the promise of God because it does not fail and fall away like flowers and grass. It is strong and mighty and pulling down of strongholds. Um, so let me see here. I wrote myself a note. Yes, we're going on now. We're talking. So we've talked about the voice of pardon. God has a plan. The voice of providence, God knows the path that he's going to help us to walk through. The voice of promise that no matter what happens along the way, God's promises stand true. And he gives us the voice of peace from verses 9 through 11. He says, you who bring good tidings to Zion, you who bring good tidings to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. 
Lift it up, do not be afraid. Say to the towns, here is your God. See the sovereign Lord comes with power and his arm rules for him. See his reward is with him and he tends his flock like a shepherd. He carries the lambs in his arms. He carries them close to his heart and he gently leads those that have young. I want you to know that he has a mighty arm for winning battle but he has a loving arm for carrying the weary lambs. This is the voice of peace that I can trust in a shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. I have everything I need. He leads me beside still waters. Amen. He is my shepherd, but he's mighty in battle. Isaiah 40, chapter 10, he comes with power and his arm rules for him and his recompense, the reward of all, accompanies him. But he also tends his flock like a shepherd and he holds them in his arm like a weary lamb. We are coming home with good news for devastated cities. This says Isaiah describes God's power to create, his provision to sustain, and his presence to help. It's from my Life Application Study Bible commentary on chapter 40, verse 12. It says, Isaiah describes God's power, God's power to create, his provision to sustain, and his presence to help. Wow. God can create a miracle in a sick body. God can create a solution for a stack of problems. He has provisions to, to sustain us when we're weary, when we're um, sick, when we're unsure. He has provisions to sustain us, and his presence helps us. I can tell you, yesterday in our prayer time here in my office, we felt the presence of God, the spirit of the sovereign Lord descend down upon us. He is powerful to help us. God is greater still. We're still on that. God is greater still. Amen. And so we know that the voice of peace will be with us for all the circumstances that we may look back and see. He is also greater than the circumstances before us. In verses 12 through 26, we see that the Jews were few in number, only a remnant, and they were facing a long and difficult journey ahead. The victories of Assyria, Babylon, and Persia made it look as though the false gods were stronger than the God of Israel. But Isaiah reminded the people of the greatness of Jehovah. God is greater still. When you behold the greatness of God, you will see everything else in life from its proper perspective. Those of you that have been with me during our book studies over time, you know we read a book about uh, reframing. That people who had been successful in their life had the capacity. One of five character traits they had was the ability to reframe. So Isaiah is reminding us that God is greater than any circumstance before, behind, inside. And right now, when we look ahead, we may feel overwhelmed. We may feel consumed by worry. Um, by grief, by things that are troubling us. But I want you to know when you behold the greatness of God, it changes your perspective. He is greater than anything on earth. And the next time you're tempted to think 
that it's not, just remember, God holds the sea in his hand, the sands, the little millions, billions of sand. He can just fling them and they go across all the beaches, across all the world, across all the continents, across all the planets. My God is a creator. I don't need to be afraid of the circumstances ahead. That is a powerful reminder from this book of Isaiah. It says in Psalm 147, verses three and four, the same God who numbers and names the stars can heal our broken hearts. Someone defines circumstances as those nasty things you see when you get your eyes off God. If you look at God through your circumstance, you will feel like God is far away. But if you look through faith at your circumstances through God, you will see that he is great and the circumstance is small. It's small. You know, if you're like me and you have to have glasses and magnifying mirrors to put my makeup on and all that stuff, one thing I can tell you is that from a distance, it looks pretty good. You don't see as many wrinkles and it's all good. But when you start to try to look, you start to see everything. However, if you can imagine that when you start to look in that magnifying glass, not to see the faults and failures in the circumstances, but imagine just symbolically, if I was holding up my Bible and I could show you the words of what it looks like to see my Bible through the magnifying glass, God is bigger than all the little dots on the page. His word is greater than all the little dots in my circumstance. And our hearts are encouraged when we come together and we remember that God is greater still. God is greater than the circumstances around us and before us. We look at him through faith. Then we remember that there are some things that are inside of us. Maybe nobody knows the things that you're going through, the things that you're feeling, the thoughts that you're having, the physical conditions that you're experiencing. And the nation of Israel, actually, instead of praising the Lord, the nation was complaining to him. Instead of seeing the open door, they saw only this long road before them, and they complained that they did not have strength for the journey, that God was asking them to do the impossible. But God knows how we feel and how we fear. Mm. God knows how we feel and how we fear. And he is adequate to meet every need. God knows your feelings. He knows your fears. He knows your insecurities. And the Lord has come to bring truth to our life. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, but he's the comforter. So when the enemy comes in like a flood and lies words of discouragement and defeat and destruction, the Holy Spirit comes in with the truth that God is greater still. And so we see that God is reminding them that he has the power to provide the strength we need. Philippians 4.13. Philippians 4.13. God has the power to provide the strength we need. If we trust ourselves, we may faint and fall. But if we wait on the Lord, we will receive strength for the journey. Listen to this. The word wait does not suggest we sit around and do nothing. It means to hope, to look to God for all that we need. This involves 
meditating on his character and his promises and seeking to glorify him. The word wait does not mean do nothing. It means that as we meditate on him, we are seeking to glorify him in the waiting. I will glorify God in the waiting. What are you waiting for today? What are you holding on for today? Are you glorifying God in the waiting? Or are you like the children of Israel complaining? Oh God, it's too hard. I can't do it. I'll be honest, there have been days when I've said that, I don't know if I can do this, God, this one thing I've said, don't do this. And then it seems like maybe that comes as a possibility. But a lot of times those things that we thought were a possibility, they're not. Do not worry about the ifs. We can take no thought for tomorrow. Amen. Mary, if you're still on there, I know you got a verse for take no thought for tomorrow. It has enough worries for itself. God wants us to focus on who he is. The word renew means to exchange as taking off old clothing and putting on new. Now, in our book, it takes us to 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 through 2. This is why studying the Bible with a book study is so good, because if you're reading Isaiah and you're just reading the book, you're just reading verses. Some of it will really grab hold in your spirit, but other times you won't see the application. When you do a book study on the books in the Bible, so we're still talking about God's word, it's helpful because someone else has said, hey, I found something in this other chapter in another book in the New Testament that's going to help you as you glorify God in the waiting. So I want you to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 12, and um, especially, I'm going to start with verse 5, okay? Paul is talking about this thorn in the flesh that he had, okay? Um, he's talking about who God is. And then in verse 5, he says, I boast about a man like that, but I won't boast about myself except about my weaknesses. This is Paul talking. Paul, that was a Roman citizen. Paul that came back to Rome and wrote much of the Holy Scripture in prison while he was here in Rome. But he's saying, I'll boast about my weakness. Why? Because in my weakness, God's glory is revealed. In our weakness, God's glory is revealed if we allow it to happen. He said, even if I should choose to boast, I would not be a fool because I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain so no one will think more of me than is warranted by what I do or say. In verse 7 of first, Second Corinthians chapter 12, he says, To keep me from being conceited, because of the surpassingly great revelations, there was given me a thorn in my flesh. He called it a messenger of Satan to torment me. Now listen. In scripture, we know that this thorn in the flesh, we don't know exactly what it was, but it, we think it was some type of physical ailment, something that Paul had to deal with on a regular basis in his flesh, okay? Um, he doesn't tell us. Some have suggested it could have been malaria from Galatians chapter 4 or disease of the eyes. Whatever, it was chronic. It was debilitating. At times, it kept him from working. This thorn was a hindrance to his ministry, and he prayed for its removal. Mm. And remember, Paul used to be Saul. He was very self-sufficient. 
So it really did humble him that he had to depend on God in his weakness when this thorn in the flesh bothered him. So then what do we see? This is what I wanted you to see today. Verse 8 of 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Verse 8 says, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, Paul says, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Now, in my, New in my New Testament Life Application Study Bible, the red, red letter edition, the font is all in black unless Jesus is talking. And it says, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it from me. But he said, and then it's red letter, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. God is greater still than whatever you're experiencing today, whatever your family's experiencing, whatever uncertainties you're experiencing, God is greater still. God is greater than the circumstances within us, and he wants to renew us by the, by the word. As we study the word, as we meditate on what God was saying to Isaiah, how powerful is that? It says in chapter 40, Verse 27, can you imagine if you put your name in this right here? It says, oh, Jacob or Israel, but I'm going to put our names in there. Verse 27 of chapter 40, why do you say, oh, Jacob, oh, Jennifer, and complain, oh, Rick, oh, Helen, oh, Israel. My way is hidden from the Lord. Helen's way is hidden from the Lord. My cause is disregarded by God. Mary's cause is disregarded by God. Do you not know? Have you not heard? Mary, Helen, Jennifer, Rick, Boriana, have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired and weary. He doesn't run out. No circumstance overwhelms our God. God is greater still. It says that he gives strength to the weary and power to the weak and that even youth grow tired and weary and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord, those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. You got to keep walking. You got to keep running. It doesn't say they will sit on the couch and do nothing. It says they will run and not grow weary. You're a part of the answer to every prayer you pray. Just get up. Don't give up. Get up. Get up and go do something. After this time today, if you're in a place where the sun is shining, go take a walk and get some sunshine. Get some vitamin D. You can walk and not feel faint. As we go on to Isaiah chapter 41, I want you to see in verse 40, uh, 41 verse 4, it says, who has done all these things and carried it through, calling forth the generations from the beginning? I, the Lord, with the first of them and with the last, I am he, the Lord says. And he says to his brother, be strong. The craftsman encouraged the goldsmith. And he who smooths the hammer spurs on the one who strikes the anvil. And he says of the welding, it is good. 
but you Israel and my servant Jacob and you descendants of Abraham, I took you from the ends of the earth, from the farthest corners, I called you. God is calling you. He said, you're my servant. I've chosen you and I have not rejected you. That is relationship, that we are to be in this close proximity to God because he's called us, because he's chosen us, because he has not rejected us. And he says again, don't be afraid. Do not fear for I am with you. Do not be dismayed for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. 41.13, I am the Lord your God who takes hold of your right hand and says to you, do not fear, I will help you. Somebody is going to watch this Bible study later. A mother is going to share it with a daughter. A daughter is going to share it with a coworker. Um, a son may share it with a father. But I want you to know something. God is greater still. And he is saying, I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Do not fear. Do not worry. I am the Lord your God. God is greater. Now we're on page 133. God is greater than our circumstances, what we just read. He's greater than the circumstances. Behind, before, and within. He's also greater than our fears. Isaiah 41, verse 1, all the way to Isaiah 44. Remember, these are the books of comfort. You need comfort? Read what God was saying in the midst of the... Why is it important to know biblical history? Because you have to know the pattern of what, God, what happened. Even from the beginning, God made Adam, and then he gave him a helpmate, Eve, and then they sinned. And they had to face the punishment for their sin. But then God had a redemption plan. That is the seam that runs through the scripture. God creates. He creates miracles. He creates blessings. Yes, God is greater. And then, if we're not careful, we stumble. We fall. We fall down. But God is greater still. And he keeps helping us. He's greater than our fears. He says, fear not, fear not, don't be afraid. Fear not, don't be afraid. Somebody needs to write down, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. There was one big reason for Israel not to be afraid. The Lord was with them and would give them success. If the Lord is not with you, might be a reason to be afraid. You might be afraid for eternity. You might be afraid for what's happening later. But I want you to know that if the Lord is with you, you don't need to be afraid. I don't know what people do. I do know. I see it. I witness it often. But those who have book knowledge, head knowledge, scholars even perhaps that have studied at universities, but they have not matched the head knowledge with the heart action. We have to match the head knowledge of God with the action of our heart and then put into practice all those things that God is asking for us to do. Last night on our Wednesday night prayer, we talked about that warfare prayer that we memorize the scripture, we declare the scripture, we embrace the scripture, we live the scripture, we activate the scripture, we benefit from it, and we share it. Amen? And that's what we're doing today so that we remember with God all things are possible because God is greater still. 
God was with those who were afraid. It's not because you get afraid and then he says, oh, you're a weak Christian. You're too weak. I can't be your God anymore. I'm disappointed in you that you had a bad day. That is not the God I serve. That is not what God says in the Holy Scripture. He says, I'm with you. It's okay that you're afraid. I'm going to be your courage. I'm going to be your faith. I'm going to be your strength. So the Lord explains this wonderful truth by assuring them that he's going before them and he's working. Last night, someone on our online campus said, you can be sure if you're praying for it, God is working on it. If you're praying for it, God is working on it. So the Lord is saying, I want you to know that I am working on your behalf. He had three servants in his employ, as we look at these passages in chapters 41 through 44. Cyrus, the king of Persia, who would be, or Cyrus, the king of Persia, who would be um, God's servant at that moment. The nation of Israel, so all, all the children, and the Messiah that's coming. That is what, God is greater, he's coming. So when we look at God's servant Cyrus, we see that at least 17 times in his prophecy, Isaiah writes about the islands or the coastlands, referring to the most distant lands of the Holy Land. Produce your cause, he challenges the nations, and he says, present your case. God is not afraid of the nations because he is greater than the nations. God is not afraid of what's going on in your country, in my country, in this country, in that country. God is greater than the nations. He's greater than the elect election. He's greater than the elected. God is greater still. We pray, the Bible says for us to pray for those in authority, to obey those in authority. Jesus said, give to Caesar what's Caesar. You know, pay your taxes, do those things that you're supposed to do. But God is greater than that. My hope is not built on society's concept of good versus not so good. My hope is built on Jesus Christ and his righteousness and nothing less. I could have nothing and still be the richest person in the world. I mean that. I know God wants to bless us and he does. He promised that he would open the windows of heaven and pour out blessings that you can't contain. These are the promises. And when you know the promises, it eliminates the fears. It reduces the fears. So type this in. Learning God's promises reduces the fear. Learning God's promises reduces the fear. Can you believe it's February and I'm turning off my heater because the sun is shining in and it's getting warm. Hallelujah. So God is greater than our fears, and God is greater than every nation. We look at page 134 now at the top. It says that he treads on rulers as if they were mortar and talks about a potter treading the clay. Isaiah called Cyrus by name over a century before he was born. And while Isaiah doesn't call Cyrus God's servant, Cyrus did serve the Lord by fulfilling God's purposes on earth. So can you imagine Isaiah talks about Cyrus even a century before he was born? That's so cool about the Bible. What it prophesies and predicts comes true. So I'm telling you, if you know God's promises, you will live with heaven in mind because 
He promised the Messiah and the Messiah came. He promised that he would be beaten and scourged and spit upon. And that came true and there were witnesses who wrote about it. He promised that he would come back and on the third day he would be victorious and resurrection power would show up. And that happened and there were witnesses who wrote about it. And he promised that the Holy Spirit would come when Jesus ascended to heaven and there were witnesses who wrote about it. And we can be sure that the promises and the prophecies that are in the book of the Bible, in, the, in God's word, that they will come true. And when I know the promises of God, it reduces the fears. Now, sometimes we have to reiterate the promises to take over the fear, right? One of my friends who had a testimony this week said she just kept singing, I came out of that grave like those dry bones. And the more she sang, the stronger she got. I came out of that grave. Those old dead things that used to be a certain way are gone in Jesus' name. So let's look at this. He says that he raised him up in righteousness and he would direct all his ways as he would build my city and let my captives go. That's in Isaiah chapter 45. So if you're in the book, you see that we're on the page 135 in the middle. Then I also wanted to read to you Romans 9. Romans 9. He says, he raised up Pharaoh in Egypt. Sometimes we forget that God can use even unconverted, which means people that don't know Jesus, that don't walk with Jesus. Sometimes God can even use unconverted world leaders for the good of his people and the progress of his work. He raised up Pharaoh in Egypt to demonstrate his power for the children of Israel. We see in Romans 9.17, Romans 9.17, for the scripture says to Pharaoh, I raised you up for this very purpose, that I might display my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. Therefore, God has mercy on whom he has mercy and he will harden those whom he hardens. Again, here's the sovereignty of God. And my commentary says that um, keep in mind the kind of worship, the kind of God we worship. He is sovereign. He is not arbitrary. Hang on a minute, sorry. Let me keep myself plugged in here. He is sovereign. He's not arbitrary in the things that he works for our good. He's trustworthy. He will save all who believe in him. And when we understand the qualities of God, we know that his choices are good, even if we don't understand his reasons. Paul said, he's quoting from Exodus 9, 16, when we look at Romans 9, what God uses in world leaders that even don't know Jesus, God foretold how Pharaoh would be used to declare God's power. Paul used this argument to show that salvation was God's proper work, not man's. That God's judgment on Pharaoh's sin was to harden his heart, to confirm the disobedience so that the consequences of rebellion would be his own punishment. And so what we see is that God is faithful still. In verse 29 of Romans, it is just as Isaiah said previously, unless the Lord Almighty had left us descendants, we would have become like Sodom and Gomorrah. So even Paul is talking about Israel's past, present, and future. The circumstances behind, before, and within from Romans chapter 9. That's another book study all on its own. Hi, Anissa. Glad to see you this morning. So I want you to think about this. God's servant, Cyrus, 
was being used for God's purpose. It doesn't say he was God's servant, but he was used for God. He served God's plan in the process. Amen. So God can take those things that feel wrong and turn them around for his good and for his glory. All things work together for good to those who are called according to his purposes, not called to your purposes, but according to his purposes. All things aren't good, but all things work together for good. And so God had a plan. The king's heart would be in the hand of the Lord like the rivers of water. He turns it where he wishes. That's spoken of in Proverbs 21.1. Why is it important to know that God is sovereign? I know we have about 12 minutes left, but I want you to engage with me for a few minutes. Why is it important to know that God is sovereign? Sovereign means in control over everything else. Nothing supersedes God. Amen. This month we're talking about the victory. And as Pastor Rick and I were talking about victory, he said, the battle may precede the victory, but nothing can supersede the victory. The battle may come before the victory, but it cannot cancel the victory. When we walk with God, the victory is already sealed. And so I'm asking you, what, what do we need to know about God and his sovereignty? Why is it important to study that? Because if not, then God becomes like a candy store. I ask and he gives. I want my way and he gives me my way. If I don't remember that God is sovereign, I can become self-sufficient, so I think, until times are hard. And if we don't remember, I come to God in boldness. I come to God in confidence. I come to God according to his word and his ways that I must be holy and walk blameless, the scripture says. Not that we haven't all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, but I've accepted the sacrifice of Christ on the cross for my sins. And therefore, I trust that God will guide me to live a holy life. So here's something else we see about God's servant Israel. So now we talk about the un ungodly things that God uses because God is sovereign. Don't ever question that God may use exactly what's going on in a country in order to fulfill the good of his people and his progress. Now, I'll tell you this. I don't like COVID. I don't like that we have to social distance and wear masks. I love seeing people's smiles. But in spite of all of the lockdowns and everything else, whether you agree with it or not, whether you like it or not, we do it because we're obeying the leaders of the land. Because of that, we reach more people in 2020 than we reached in the last five years. Because of that, we've been on Sunday, we're gonna congratulate over 50 people who have completed anywhere from one to three education classes that are gonna make their life richer and fuller and their influence wider and more wonderful. That is what's happened as a result of these things. I have a very dear friend, we prayed for them last night Pastor Marty, um, colleagues of ours in ministry. And not only did he get COVID, but we learned this morning that they discovered he's a young man, but he has a three, three bypasses on his heart that were blocked and he has to have triple bypass surgery this morning. You know what his wife said? She can't be with him because of COVID protocols. And uh, they're just a wonderful, wonderful couple. She said, while that's hard, I know that the Lord is with him. And I think COVID Remember, all things aren't good. 
I think COVID saved his life because he got sick with COVID. Then he had what they seemed to be a heart attack, but they were looking at it through the eyes of COVID. And so they did another check on his heart and found this triple blockage. And today they're going to fix that. And if it hadn't been for COVID, he may have had a massive heart attack and not survived. So God works all things for our good, even those things that don't seem very good. Then it talks about God's servant Israel in chapters 41, 43, and 44, because God is working on their behalf in spite of their past re rebellion. Israel was not cast away by the Lord. So I want you to see something. The title, my servant, is an honorable one. It's given to great leaders like Moses, David, prophets, and the Messiah. So to be called God's servant, you know, in this world where everybody wants their self to matter so much, they don't want anybody to be a slave or a servant, and I don't either in the terms of humanity, but in scripture, we look at things differently, and God's children are called to be servants, to be not a slave to people, but a slave in love to the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a different, it's a really different mindset, right? It's saying, God, this servant word was even given to the Messiah, my servant, the son of God, the Messiah, my servant Moses, who led the people through difficult situations. I want to be a servant. I want to be called by God a servant. But then it goes on to say, it doesn't feel like there's very much honor in being called a worm. He also called him a worm of God. The servant defined what they were by God's grace and calling but the worm described what they were in themselves. Imagine a worm gritting its teeth and thrashing mountains. Not going to happen. As the nation marched ahead by faith, every mountain is made low. And the Lord turns the mountains into plains, into molehills. From the picture of a servant and a worm, Isaiah turns to the picture of a desert becoming a garden. Remember Isaiah was a great poet. He, he used analogies like the highway and the mountains and the hills to talk about the coming Messiah. And so another thing he did was talk about um, the desert becoming a garden. And we see that in 41, 17 through 20. It says, the desert shall rejoice and blossom as the rose. That's in 35, 1. Also in 17 through 20, the poor and needy search for water, but they don't have any. Their tongues are parched with thirst, but I, the Lord, will answer them. I, the Lord, will answer them. God is greater still. I, the God of Israel, will not forsake them. I will make rivers flow in barren places, he says. I will bring springs within the valley and turn the desert into pools of water and parched ground into the springs. I will put in the desert the cedar and the acacia and the myrtle and the olive tree. And I will set pines in the wasteland. A pine is an evergreen, always green. That's going to grow in the wasteland. You're going to have things grow in the desert. You're going to have things grow in the desert. Thank you, Boriana, for that verse from Isaiah. The desert will rejoice and blossom as the rose. Today, God wants to remind you, you can grow in the desert. You can blossom in the desert. Your faith can get strengthened in the desert. And I am a witness to that. And then the final picture that we see from Isaiah in this passage is the picture of the courtroom. So in 41, 21 through 29, let's just look at verse 21. It says, 
Present your case, says the Lord. Set forth your arguments. Bring in your idols and tell us what's going to happen. But you're less than nothing. Your works are utterly worthless. He says, I have stirred up from the north and, and he comes and the one rising in the sun who calls on my name. No one told of this. I was the first to tell Zion, look, here they are. I'm in verse 27 of chapter 41. I look, but there's no one, no one around to give counsel, no one to give answer when I ask them. See, they're all false. Their deeds have amounted to nothing but wind and confusion. Then in 42, it says, here's my servant who I'm uphold, my chosen one whom I delight in. I will put my spirit on him and he will bring justice to the nations. Amen. So these verses in chapter 42 begin to speak about what's also written in Matthew chapter 12 as a reference to Jesus. The servant song is called. There's that word servant again. So this picture, present your case. God was challenging the idols of the nations. What can you do to prove you're really God? Hmm? Did any of their predictions come true? Did they announce anything? No one told of this. No one foretold of it. The Lord taunted them, it says. Not only were the idols unable to make any valid prediction, they couldn't even speak at that moment. And God is reminding us that he is the Lord, our Redeemer. The theme of Israel, God's servant, is continued in Isaiah 43 and 44 with an emphasis on God, the Redeemer, in 43, 1 through 7, especially 43, 14. 43, this is what the Lord says, your Redeemer. 43, 14, this is what the Lord says, your Redeemer. God is going to redeem your loss. He's going to redeem your grief. He's going to redeem your brokenness. He's going to redeem your uh, frustration and confusion. God is our Redeemer. Again, in chapter 43, at verse starting in verse 1, it says, Don't be afraid. Fear not. I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through these waters, I'll be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they won't sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you won't be burnt. For I am the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Then he says again in verse 5, do not be afraid for I am with you. I am with you. I am with you. God is with us in every circumstance. God gave Egypt, Ethiopia, Cush, Seba to Cyrus as a ransom payment to redeem Israel from Babylon because Israel was so precious to him. And he gave his own son, Jesus, as a ransom for our sins. He is our redeemer. Israel is God's servant in the world and God's witness to the world. God is asking you to be his servant to the world and his witness to the world. You are my witnesses, God says. Twice the Lord says to Israel in verse 10 and verse 12, you are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant who I am chosen. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, that I am God. Yes, from ancient days, I am he. No one can deliver out of my hand. When I act, who can reverse it? Wow. Isaiah chapter 43, verse 13, the Lord says, when I act, who can reverse it? No one can stop creation from being. No one can stop the stars from hanging in the sky. No one can stop the sea from coming across the shore. God, 
When God speaks, no one can reverse it. When God forgives and restores his people, he wants them to forget the past, witness for him in the present, and claim his promises for the future. I want you to remember this. I got one minute. God wants you to remember that he wants you to forget the failures of the past, witness for him in the present, and claim his promises for the future. I'm on page 136 and 137. He will pour water on the land and his spirit on the people. We know the prophecy of Joel. We understand that God formed Israel. He forgave Israel. He glorified. He was glorified through his children and he speaks to them. He formed them. He forgave them. He, he was glorified through them and he speaks to them that he will be faithful to his word. God is greater still. And lastly, we go to God's servant, the Messiah. God is greater still. When we look at God's servant on page 137 and 138, I want you to understand that God will be greater still. The father delights in his son. It is through the ministry of the servant of the most high God. God chose him. God upheld him and God enabled him to succeed in his mission. Next week, we're going to cover that God is greater than our enemies. We're going to talk about some of the uh, things that we've learned through this study from, from chapter 9, I think it is, page 137. Um, when God forgives, he wants you to forget what was behind, to be active, declaring, and decreeing in the present, and to declare the promises. When we declare the promises, it reduces our fears and reminds us God is greater still. So Lord, I thank you for all my friends who are watching now and will watch in a little while. I want you to know I love you and I'm praying for you. I see your messages. I see your likes. I see your names. God knows your name. He knows your address and he knows your needs. And today he is all sufficient to meet every need in your life. Don't fret. Don't be afraid. God is greater still. Amen. I love you. Have a blessed day. We'll see you online. If you're here in Rome, we have a worship media and music workshop on Saturday afternoon. You need to register. All safety protocols will be managed, and we want you to be a part. You can learn to do the media. You can learn to do sound. You can learn to do production like what we're doing right now today, um, and you can use your talents for the Lord. So come to the worship workshop. Get registered. Also, I think we may have one spot left on the sewing lab for next Saturday. Um, and you got to register for church. Come at 10 or 11.45, 11.45 online. It's just going to be a great week. The sun is shining in Rome. I hope the sun is shining where you are. The sun, God the sun, is shining in our hearts. Amen? God is greater still. Love you. Have a great day.